Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Bakersfield 3 is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. Love makes us do all kinds of things we never think we'd do. It can make us question our very being. It can be all-consuming. But perhaps nothing will make you do something you never thought you'd do the way betrayal and heartbreak can. Such was the case for Matthew Vandecastile. You may remember Matthew Vandecastile was good friends with Matthew Queen. And when Queen was dating Bailey, Vandecastile was dating Sarah. They were two sets of good friends dating each other, which was great, until Matt Vandecastile got arrested and a couple days later, Bailey went missing. That was the end of April 2018 that suddenly Queen and Sarah found themselves without their significant others and apparently found comfort in each other. And within a couple of months, Sarah was living with Queen and soon after pregnant with his baby. So naturally, that was the end of Matt Queen and Matt Vandecastile's friendship. And had Matt Queen not betrayed Matt Vandecastile like that, had Sarah not broken his heart, Matt Vandecastile likely would have never said certain things on a recorded phone line from jail. That Vandecastile jail phone call fueled the case significantly at that time. Ultimately, was the key piece that you know, helped solve the case. I'm Olivia LaVoice, and this is The Bakersfield Three. In the last episode, you heard jail calls between Sarah and Matthew Queen from the summer of 2019 after Queen was arrested during the River standoff. This set of jail calls you're about to hear between Sarah and Matthew Vandecastile took place one year earlier in summer 2018, just a couple months after Bailey and Micah disappeared. Now, before the call between Sarah and Vandecastile that blew the case wide open, there were some other interesting calls that led up to it. At this point, Vandecastile didn't know Sarah and his friend Queen were seemingly hooking up behind his back. I had this dream about Bailey. Yeah? And it's really got me fucked up, babe. Why? And now I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck happened, but I figure I should stay the fuck out of it too because she always talked about, like, and the ones that always followed her and people that have followed her before and, like, people that have followed Micah and everyone's always like, oh, you're crazy, Micah, and 
Mike is actually not that crazy. Everybody and now, already knows you know, who Mike is. Everyone already knows where Mike went. Everyone. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Which is why I gotta stay the fuck out of it too, babe. But like that dream has me fucked no up. Shit. Like, yeah, I have a feeling that Bailey's gone. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, you need to not be anywhere around it. Okay. You know I'm what just, I mean? Okay. Yeah. Right. Because I just talked to my. You don't, don't want to fucking. You don't want to push, try, or put your nose in any of that. I know. I know. I know. I need to keep my nose out of it. And uh, with me being in here. Yes, babe. Okay. I will. I just really. I want to talk to one of my uh, cousins who's a detective, and I want to tell him like kind of what's going on, what I think. Baby, trust me. Stay out of it. Okay. I know. It's probably best. Considering two people have gone missing over this shit, you know? Yeah. At the time of those calls, Sarah and Matthew Van de Castile were still together. Or so he thought. A couple weeks later, that all blew up, resulting in the call that ended up being a treasure trove for Sergeant Garrett. You might remember hearing a part of it before in an earlier episode. It started out normal enough. Sarah and Vanda Castile were talking about Game of Thrones. Before it turned into Sarah saying she couldn't have her life on hold and wait for him while he was behind bars. This is what God wants. He took you away from me for a reason. Because you can't be in my life right now. It sucks. It really does. I know. It does. You know why? You don't want to know why it sucks so much, though? Why? The main reason I'm sitting in here, the main reason is because I won't give up other people. And they get to sit out there and hang out with you and be around you. Don't be like that. To refresh your memory, Vanda Castile was in jail for trying to confront a guy at a hotel at gunpoint. I won't give up who else was at the motel, who was driving the car, everyone that was involved. I sit in here. You've done many other things that you should be in there for. I did what I had to do to take care of us, and now I'm paying for it. It turned out the other guy at the motel that day was Matthew Queen, and Sarah was their getaway driver. But seeing as at the time they were his best friend and girlfriend, Matthew Van de Castile refused to give them up, which probably contributed to his fury when he seemed to discover later on this call that Queen and Sarah were shacking up together. So are you really living at your aunt's and uncle's? Yeah. For real, for on your, yes. on your sister's life, and I swear to God. Matthew. Just say it. No. So what are you saying then? With a friend. Who? It doesn't fucking matter. The Matt? No. Swear to God? Matthew. Swear to God. No. It is then. Tell that motherfucker he's a dead man when I get out. Matt. I swear to God. 
You need to stop. You need to. You need to hey, fucking find more. Hey, and I'm gonna tell you. I'm what? gonna tell you straight up. Bailey's in the same fucking place that Mike is, and if you remember where Mike is because you were at my fucking house that night, you're probably gonna end up the same way if you do him dirty. Why are you talking why, like that? Why do you think I don't want you around that fool? Not. Just saying. Hey, and I'm, I'm gonna put it even way better. He's gonna be I'm in prison because I can roll on him. Matt, both I'm of gonna you, actually. They're looking for both of you. Matt. So, how about you guys both remember that when you guys are out there fucking my life over? If you love me, why the fuck would you move in with him? I'm telling you, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Swear to fucking put it. Swear to God, put that on God. I swear to God, I swear to God. I can't. Yeah. I'm trying to be a good person, okay? I want you to be a good person too. Yeah. I should be a good person and just confess all the sins. I should just come clean about everything. Matt, calm down, okay? You know I love you. Yeah, but you love, you probably love the person you're living with more than me, though. No, I love you. I thought you were better than this, though, sir. I really thought you were going to ride it out with me. You answer less. It's harder to get a hold of you. I don't get letters anymore. Like, you have been... I like, sent you letters last I week. I last week. Matt, I love you, and I'm here for you. But don't talk to me like that anymore. What, don't talk to you like, well, fuck. Maybe I, maybe if I was just to, you know, confess everything and be a good person and, you know, say... Why don't you stop? Oh, wait. Stop, Matt, okay? You guys would be in Matt, with stop. Matt, I want to be stop. the going to Matt, I love you. Bye. The caller has hung up. Remember, this call took place early on in the investigation of Bailey and Micah's disappearances. At this point, some people in law enforcement were telling Jane and Cheryl that they thought Bailey and Micah were in Mexico, drinking margaritas and living their best lives together. That damning call between Vanda Castile and Sarah didn't come to light until several months later, when Sergeant Garrett started digging into the case and on a hunch requested the recordings of all of Vanda Castile's jail calls. He had to listen to over 300 phone calls about all sorts of irrelevant things, and then there it was, proof Vanda Castile had information. But by the time Sergeant Garrett was on to him and showed up to speak with him in prison, Vanda Castile had had almost five months to cool off after learning his girlfriend was dumping him for his good friend. So he wasn't exactly ready to spill his guts the way it had sounded on that heated phone call, which was disappointing, you could say, for the investigator assisting Sergeant Garrett with the interview. Lieutenant Christopher Bagby. See, here's the thing, Mr. Van Castile. We could play cat and fucking mouse all oh, I day. Know. Listen to me. I could play cat and mouse all day. It's kind of my thing, to be honest with you. I enjoy the pursuit of the whole thing. The reality of your situation is, is that we didn't randomly appear here hoping to fish for fucking catfish, right? We're not looking for fucking bullshit, right? Major fucking ordeal to get into a fucking prison to talk to some dude, right? It sucks, actually. And I hate prisons more than anything because they smell bad. The people who work here are dickheads. Everything about it I don't like. You know the drill, right? Can we be honest with each other? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the reason that we are here is because of this shit on the phone. 
Van de Castile kept insisting. Anything he said on those phone calls to Sarah was just based off of his gut feelings and that he doesn't actually know anything. To which Lieutenant Bagby told him, let's see how that explanation holds up for you in court. All they gotta do is fucking listen to it, right? They'll play that shit for the motherfucking jury. Just play it. And then they're gonna be like, that fucking dude knows what's fucking going on. No doubt about it. You're kind of fucked, bro. Garrett and Bagby continued to reiterate to Van de Castile this was his chance to try to save himself by telling them what he knew. And furthermore, why would he continue to protect someone who'd screwed him over? Matthew Queen is, if correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to be a personal dickhead, uh, is running around with your girl. Ex. But she wasn't your ex when he started running around with her, as I understand it, right? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying this is a reality of your life. He stole your girl while you're doing his time, mm-hmm. right? The interview went on like this for a while before Van de Castile finally said he'd tell the truth. His story came out in bits and pieces, each detail a struggle to pull out of him. After several hours, Garrett and Bagby had what they needed and left Van de Castile with this parting gift. So you didn't know that uh, Sarah's pregnant? You should ask him if he wants to watch it. So, make him watch it. Yeah. What is it? Well, they did a gender reveal thing I was going to show you. You ever seen those? Or like this yeah, new thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing one. Yeah, I want to see it. After playing the video of Queen and Sarah's gender reveal, Bagby and Garrett said their goodbyes, and Sergeant Garrett got to work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As someone who hears about crime day in and day out for a living, I try to find a balance between being aware of the terrible things that can happen to people, especially women, while also not trying to let those thoughts take up too much space in my head. I strive to be conscious of safety without being fearful. And what really helps me strike that balance is having a home security system. When I turn my Simply Safe alarm on before bed, I just sleep better, and that alone makes it worth it to me. Your home is where you should feel the safest, and having that sense of security is really nice, especially when you're binging true crime all the time, like I know a lot of you listening probably are. Some great things about Simply Safe is it's really easy to set up. There's 24-7 customer service, there's no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners peace of mind, and you deserve that too. Right now, you can get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash Bakersfield. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So, unbeknownst to myself and the moms, things were happening. From our perspective, though, at the time, things had been quiet since Queen's arrest for the various unrelated incidents. As we were going on a year and a half since Bailey and Micah's disappearances and James's murder, there was no sense of resolution, which made it that much harder for me to leave my first love, my job working as a reporter in Bakersfield, 
and take a new job out of state that fall in 2019. The last couple of weeks I was in Bakersfield, I sent a jailhouse interview request to Queen every single day. And every day like clockwork, the jail would fax it back with the box checked next to inmate declines. Eventually, Queen actually wrote next to the checked box, please stop sending these. I had to accept it. I was leaving with no new info. But the hardest part was telling the moms. Even though I wasn't sure it was necessarily professional, I felt they'd broken down a barrier and I'd really connected with them. Initially, I'd fought it, thinking it was blurring a line of me being a reporter versus friend. When they'd come to see me at court and Di would pick pieces of lint off my dress or smooth down a piece of my hair, Cheryl would take a messy stack of papers out of my hand and put them in order, and Jane would lecture me that I needed to be careful when driving on the freeway to go to LA to see my boyfriend. Can he just come here so you don't have to do that dangerous drive, she'd ask. They were inherently motherly to everyone in their path. But to me, it felt special. In a town where I wanted to be regarded as a serious crime reporter, they treated me as such, but they also treated me like someone they cared about. So leaving them was hard, but the truth was, I knew they didn't need me. They'd become better investigators than I could ever be. And they were just as, if not more, media savvy than myself. And most importantly, they had each other. They'd become a little family. Kind of an understatement to say the three of you have a special bond. I think that is an understatement. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a very unique set of circumstances that brought us together. When When you let yourself be this open with others, how can you not become tied together a bit internally. I just can't imagine sharing some of the stuff that we've shared and not feeling connected. Yeah, I've shared stuff with these, you know, two that I haven't shared with my family. And I believe we're so connected that when the other one is hurting, we feel the pain and we hurt right along. Not long after I left for Seattle, the three moms put on their first annual Bakersfield Three charity event, a golf tournament titled Tea for Three. True to their mission, they'd began a year earlier, they were raising money for specialized sonar equipment to search waterways. You might remember back in summer 2018, when the female leg was found in the lake, Jane thought it belonged to her daughter Bailey and was horrified that more thorough searching couldn't be done to locate the rest of the body and that search crews had to borrow equipment from the neighboring county of Tulare. Even though the leg turned out not to belong to her daughter, it was still just as important to her and the other moms to get the equipment for their community of Kern County. And they were going to ensure they got the best of the best by using their secret weapon, Jane. We all three researched different equipment and we decided on the equipment. Then we let Jane take over. (laughs) Yes, and we are proud to say... We are proud to to say... say Jane negotiated a price that is lower than what they do at their seminars. For anybody. For anybody, any law enforcement agency. And the government uses this equipment. So we figured if it was good enough for the government... the military uses it. It was good enough for Kern County. And And so we're happy that our equipment is better than Tulare. And now they can borrow from us. <laughs> and it has a Bakersfield 3 sticker, sticker on it. it. Thanks yeah, to they, Search and Rescue. rescue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they put our sticker on it. 
The first fundraiser was a huge success. Using the proceeds, as well as a few thousand dollars from their own pockets, the moms bought the sonar equipment. Not long after, COVID-19 hit, and everything everywhere shut down. It was the first time in two years the moms had essentially been forced to slow down. But eventually, late May 2020, the county decided they could do an outdoor event to formally unveil the sonar equipment and thank the Bakersfield 3 charity. It was going to be such a happy day. Most of us can reflect and remember that back then, it was significant for anyone to get out of the house and have a good day. But especially for the moms, who could count the number of, quote, happy days on one hand that they had had in the last two years. We were very proud of, of our community for coming together behind us to make that happen. And we felt like it was a move in the right direction to um, put victims and their families first. And, um, yeah, it was—it it started out a very nice day. And it ended as a horrible day. It ended yeah. as a horrible day. It was a beautiful spring morning. The three mothers proudly stood side by side in their matching Bakersfield 3 polo shirts as the sheriff and search and rescue crews spoke to a crowd of media. But this would not be the story that any reporter there would end up covering that day. On behalf of the sheriff's office and on behalf of the county that we serve, ladies, thank you very much for your involvement. You're you're tenacious and you keep us on our toes and we need that occasionally. 17 news crews captured the press conference. We've had to borrow equipment from Tulare County to be any, uh, to have any success at all. We didn't have the funds to go out and buy our own sonar equipment. Kern County Sheriff Donnie Youngblood said, in addition to the mothers raising money for the sonar equipment, they'd also brought to law enforcement's attention Andy Rapid DNA. You may remember that's the technology the mothers found that did the DNA testing on Micah's arm and the leg in the lake. Sheriff Youngblood announced the county would be pushing to purchase the specialized DNA equipment. And what we're hoping to do is not have families like this have to wait weeks and weeks to uh, find out whether a, a body part belongs to their missing loved one. So if we can find the body or the parts and then get rapid DNA and on the same day be able to tell them, yes, it's your, your relative or no, it's not. And, and that's an additional $100,000 a year for rapid DNA. Uh, but, you know, if your child is missing, $100,000 a year is absolutely nothing. It was everything the mothers had worked so hard for. The countless hours they'd spent lobbying to county and city officials had paid off. I'd like to thank KLEA. They were our partners um, in our very first golf tournament. The moms took turns speaking to the crowd. This has been a long time coming for us. It feels like a long time, but we were we knew early on that we wanted water rescue and having our own equipment so we didn't have to borrow from other counties with as much water as we have. Thank you so much for coming out and and helping us celebrate today. Yeah, hope I can get through this without crying. Um, The sonar is very near and dear to my heart. Um, It's something Baker still needs and I know it's going to help a lot of families um, get what they need to find loved ones faster. So Thank you very much for your support. I'm so grateful. Meanwhile, during the press conference, 
Di had gotten a text from a reporter who dropped a bombshell on her. To be having such a happy moment donating equipment that our, that our county so needed. And so we were so excited. But it was, it was hard for me, knowing what I knew, to sit there and know that how Jane was going to fail or think I knew, and how Cheryl, it was just like, here we go again. You know, just another curveball. After the press conference wrapped, Cheryl and Lance got the call first. Di knew the news needed to come from law enforcement. I was in my car with Jane, and it was very difficult for me not to say anything. Meanwhile, Cheryl and Lance had been taken to the Bakersfield Police Department. I think Di kind of knew what was going on, but she didn't want to tell me. And I go, well, I'm just going to call Garrett. And he answered, and I go, what's going on? And he says, well, can you come down here right now? We need to talk to you. Cheryl and Lance were the first to be led into a conference room with Sergeant Garrett and prosecutors to tell them they were filing charges in Micah's case. I remember them saying a first-degree murder charge against Matt Queen. They told us that that, um, they were going to move forward with charging him with first-degree murder and kidnapping. And, and and so at this point, right, your, your ears kind of go numb. Like, you're just kind of sitting there, and you're just like, you're letting it kind of wash over you. And then I just remember hearing someone say, and and we're going to charge Bailey as well. It was a stunning revelation. Bailey was being charged with Micah's murder. And I remember thinking, you know, just kind of looking around the room like, what is, you know, what? Have have you talked to Jane? No, we're going to talk to her next before we go to the press conference or something like that. And I was like, well, that would be really important for her to know that because that's horrible that it's just going to devastate her. The news was merely impossible to comprehend, and it all happened very fast. After getting the news, a suit in the room explained that in about 15 minutes, the prosecutor's office would be holding a press conference to announce it all publicly. We're just trying to tuck all these little bits of information in our brains. And then we felt like, okay, time to go. Got to get Jane in here. Got to go. It just felt very rushed. And I just felt so, like I was on a roller coaster, just like, I don't even know which way is up. Cheryl and Lance were ushered out just before Jane was brought in, about to receive the news that changed all of their lives forever. So it was about 10 till 2, and the press conference was supposed to happen at 2. So it was like 10 minutes before I'm being told that my daughter's being charged with the murder of Micah along with Matt Queen. And it was just like disbelief. I'd been, you know, crying and I'm asking, you know, why, why they can't tell me. It was a room full of people in the lobby, detectives, the chief of police. And then kind of like everybody, it's like, okay, we're done. You you need to go because we got to go to the press conference and they didn't want us at the press conference. So by the time I got back out to the car at like two, It was already 
going and my family had already heard it, my friends, I wasn't given the chance to tell my family, hey, this is going to happen. Meanwhile, Cheryl and Lance, still in shock, were driving home, which is a long drive outside of Bakersfield. And so we have an hour and a half to scream and cry. and You know, just very primal, very much a very, very angry, very pain-filled drive home. We get home. Di called us maybe and said, you know, you need to see, you need to see the actual press conference that the DA did. In a fog, Cheryl turned on the TV. 17 news crews captured DA Cynthia Zimmer announcing the charges against Matthew Queen and Bailey. The charges involve murder, conspiracy to commit murder, torture, kidnapping. It wasn't until we got home and listened to that newscast that we heard the word torture. The hardest part about that was hearing that there had been torture. Then we see it on the news. I felt I felt like like somebody sucks you in the gut and you lose all you can't breathe. That day I don't remember who called who or what if anything was said. I just remember sitting at my kitchen table and hearing Cheryl's sobs through the phone. I don't think there's any way to really describe that kind of grief, that kind of cry. Hearing it leaves you with a deep pit in your stomach and an aching in your heart, a sort of paralyzed feeling of helplessness. My call with Jane that day was different, though. There were no tears or even real acknowledgement of what she was told. She sounded flustered and frantic, speaking in a fast, high-pitched tone, repeating how she has a lot of questions that prosecutors and police haven't answered. It was brief. She was in shock. My old colleagues at 17 News were also stunned. Here's anchor and reporter Alex Fisher. You have someone who is missing. No signs of her whatsoever. And now she is being charged with murder. It took this case to the next level. 17 News reporter Jason Katowski. Hearing Bailey's name, that was probably the biggest surprise so far in a case that's been full of them, frankly, you know, from the beginning. I was very surprised at that because I I thought at that point that most people believed that Bailey had, had been killed. The first question reporters asked the district attorney was, does this mean Bailey is not presumed to be dead? Do investigators think she's alive? She is unaccounted for. And because she is unaccounted for and not declared deceased, she has been charged as a criminal defendant in this case. Then when I got the explanation, I was like, okay, they're just, they're covering all the bases here in the event that she is alive somewhere and hiding out. But nothing said at that press conference made the news about Bailey being charged any less shocking. For so long, she had been, you know, claimed as one, or been called one of the victims in this case. So to to hear that one of the victims actually took part um, allegedly in the killing of, of Wholesome Bake, that, that did surprise me. I I was not expecting that. I, I, I was waiting to hear charges against someone, but I, I did not expect it would be Bailey. The someone Jason is referring to is Matt Queen. And frankly, most of us were expecting he'd be charged with Bailey's murder. Here he was now charged with Micah's murder, with Bailey as his co-conspirator. We're still looking at what happened to her. 
And then same time, we had information came in that she might be involved. It was a bizarre twist in the case. Sergeant Garrett had to keep that earth-shattering twist to himself for a very long time, while also having a front-row seat to how close the moms got. It added uh, definitely complexity to the case. Here's 17 News anchor and reporter Alex Fisher again. When Bailey was charged with Micah's murder, it complicated the whole case. And I think all of us went to, what are the moms thinking? How does this change how they work together? And we've all seen them as three moms who are dealing with a tragedy, losing their children. And for all of the sudden, just like that, to have a mom realize that, oh, my daughter is now being charged with the murder of this other mom's son. That's a, that's a big deal. And that was a huge game changer. Here's retired detective Bill Darby, who'd looked into the case. And I thought, oh my gosh, these women are doing such a good thing, being together and supporting each other. What's this going to do? Distinctly remember, as soon as I heard that, it was, oh crap. How's Cheryl going to handle this? How's Jane going to handle this? Sergeant Garrett wasn't sure how they'd handle any part of it either, starting from asking them to come meet that day. It had to have been pretty intense for you to... I I had no idea what the uh, reaction or the emotions would be, but like I said, it was something that needed to be done, and it is what it is at that point. So we had to tell them what what we knew. I was curious to see if their relationship would would hold after that. Everyone was, so I asked the three of them. This interview was about a year and a half after the charges were filed. Did it change the dynamic of the group, the charges? I think it caused us to pause. We needed to pause for a while. We just had to let that, we just had to let it lie for a few. And I think the dynamics changed a, li- a little bit in they that... Did. It was Cheryl and I talking, and then it was Jane and I talking, and I was the buffer. I was the listener. I would listen and listen and try to help. And it was never anything about Jane. It, no, right. It was never It was <laughs> never bad because we I were both feeling yeah. bad. And I, I would say, have you talked to Jane? And she'd say, no, I haven't You know, talked to her for days. And I'd talk to Jane, have you talked to Cheryl? No, I haven't talked to her for days. What am I going to so say? There's this little bit of a distance. Not that they had anything bad to say. I just think... It was weird. It was just an uncomfortable... So I was the middle person. It was just weird. It was just weird, as Cheryl says. And frankly, I think it still is to some degree. All this time later, it feels like it's still not easy for them to discuss it. But particularly when the news was still fresh, Jane and Cheryl didn't know what to say to each other. What would anyone say in their shoes? When Cheryl and I spoke about this one-on-one, I asked her during this period that her and Jane weren't really speaking, how did she feel towards Jane? I was immediately worried about her because, I've, because I'm a mom and I know how, how that would have affected me if our tables were turned. And I knew that she was just going to collapse under the weight of that news. It's deeply complicated 
As her close friend Cheryl knew Jane needed comfort and support, she needed someone to hold her hand and tell her, of course your daughter would never hurt anyone. But being the mother of Bailey's alleged victim, Cheryl wasn't sure she was the one to give her that at the time. Because I just didn't want to rub her face in it. And I think I said these exact words to die in a phone call was, I just need, Micah just needs to have his moment. Okay, this just needs to be about Micah for a minute, right? Could we just be, you know, can we not just let Micah have this for a minute? <laughs> can it stop being about Bailey for a second? And, and yet, even while saying that, I was thinking to myself, I would be doing the same thing. I would have been, Micah would have never done that. I can't imagine it. You know, I mean, I would have had all the words that came out of Jane's mouth would have been my words. And so even while I was saying, okay, can we just give, can we just need to throw the brakes on and let this shake out? Because we're still reeling from even finding out. I mean, we were still just crushed by the fact that it was long and horrible. Yeah, we were just still dealing with all that it meant for Micah. This had been, been done on purpose, planned in advance by whomever, whoever it was. We were reeling under it. And we never blamed Jane, never thought that it would have anything to do with any of the rest of her family. That's not something you, you know. Even if she did it and was did it cold in cold-hearted way and all these other things, it doesn't mean that we don't love and support her family or work with her family. So, so you know, it's just complex. It was just a weird time, and we needed. I think Di said it. You know, we just needed to let it breathe for a little bit. Just needed to let it. We just needed a little distance, kind of radio silence, you know, to keep any of us, either of us, Jane or our family, from just coming unglued in front of a microphone, right? Just losing it completely in public because none of us wanted that for the other. You know, we were, were still are very protective of each other. I also talked to Jane one-on-one about how this time was for her. She said since it happened during the height of COVID, she was already feeling very isolated. It was probably maybe good that I was by myself because um, when you're processing and trying to grieve and deal with all the stuff that you know in your head, sometimes you have to go a little bit crazy. And you don't want people around to see you do your ugly cry and ask God, why did you let this happen? I'm not real religious, but I always heard people talk about hearing God telling you what to do. And it would be like, okay, you know, I'm in the shower on the floor with the water, you know, dripping over you, crying and asking and taking your anger out on him because you have to take it out on somebody. Um, I guess that's why I felt like Lance and Cheryl were angry at me because I'm the closest thing to Bailey. Was that difficult? First time you 
saw them after the event? Yes. Difficult in the sense that, you know, what are they thinking? Like, they say they didn't blame me, but you just don't know what you think. You feel and think so many different things, and you're trying to get answers, but you don't get answers. When me and the three moms talked about this all together, Cheryl addressed Jane's fears. This is where everybody out there, Communication 101, Lance and I never thought it was an issue because it wasn't, Jane, it wasn't Jane's responsibility. She didn't have to answer for those questions. But we knew that it was weird for her to talk about. And so we didn't want to really bring it up and because, I think it's because we don't want you to have to think about like it. on TV and stuff, it's like, oh, that's the mom of the murderer. Look at her. It's her fault her kid turned out like this. And, you know, and, you know, you, you already have guilt about your child missing and what happened to her and if you could have done things different and then it's like you just you know think what did I do but I know I know it wasn't her how do you deal with that Jane how did you deal with it um I'm still dealing with it you know I have my days where it's like um Right now, I spend a lot of my time in my head trying not to think about stuff. Was it difficult for you to think of what you wanted to say to Cheryl? Well, all I would ever say is, I'm sorry. I I don't know. I won't know until the truth comes out what really happened, you know? And we always said, it's not your place to be sorry. You did not hurt us. I asked Di, who was a bit of a liaison between Jane and Cheryl, if she was worried what would happen to the three of them after the news broke. I knew our dynamic would change, but I never have once felt that it would pull us apart. Not once. To this day, people still say to me, I don't get it. How did they do it? How did they work through this and stay close? Here's Sergeant Garrett. Ultimately, they they came to the... the understanding that yeah just because maybe her daughter did something doesn't you know you know it's not Jane's fault her daughter was grown made her own decisions so Cheryl decided uh, not to hold that against Jane so they, they did have that bond I mean if it happened earlier on in the case I don't I don't know uh, how that would have affected them but it was definitely an uncomfortable uh, thing for them to probably go through themselves personally 17 news reporter Jason Katowski well, I guess there's just a lot of strength with the three of them because, you know, you'd think uh, from from an outside perspective looking in, is like, how could, you know, the other moms still be friends with, with Bailey's mom know, knowing, or with the allegation that she took part in this murder. So I think this shows that there's there's a lot of understanding between those three and they they must also consider her a victim too, I believe. Here's Bill Darby again, the retired detective and my friend who'd come to spend a lot of time with the three moms during his investigation. I was really so incredibly inspired by Cheryl. She really was a diamond in that thing. I uh, could not believe her her grace in hearing that, that, oh, this lady that, you know, we formed this bond with and we're so close, her daughter killed my son. 
but they stood strong knowing that those kids were all in, involved in a mess. You know, so I was really, really inspired by her. I genuinely believe that Cheryl never had any feelings of anger or resentment towards Jane. But I also think it's a wildly complicated, somewhat incomprehensible situation to try to navigate for both of them. As I've said before, it is not an easy topic. Even with how open and raw I feel the three of them are with me, I still feel a bit of a pause when I bring it up. I get the feeling that Cheryl and Jane are still searching for the right words. This next clip of a conversation between Cheryl and I is what I feel is the most candid I've ever heard her be about the situation. It started with me discussing my thoughts on the day the charges were announced. I was like, how, how are they going to deal with this? I knew you guys would, but it was just how. How is this going to go? I use the word difficult a lot because it was difficult. But that word doesn't even come close to covering it, right? I don't even know what the right word would be, but it was a near thing. We almost didn't survive that. Hearing her say that made me appreciate even more how incredible it is that the three of them did survive it. And from the day the charges were announced, they never broke their united front. We make decisions together. Um, mm -hmm. We made a decision to pretty much go silent for a while because we felt it was important to let things kind of settle. settle and do their own course. And it might have been hard. It was hard for me. I know it was hard for Jane, but we felt that it was we were doing this for Micah, that it was important. Yeah, it was... Um so that's the kind of care and concern that, you know, that we built up for each other. The reason you haven't heard Jane fiercely defending her daughter is because the moms were given a fierce warning that if Jane publicly defended Bailey, it could be interpreted as Jane saying police and prosecutors had it all wrong, and that could in turn cast doubt on their case against Matthew Queen and hurt their chances of getting a jury to convict him for Micah's murder. So the moms made a pact to say nothing. For Jane, in some ways, not being able to defend Bailey was almost as difficult as hearing the horrific allegations in the first place. But with the support from one another, the three of them stayed silent and just rode through it. In fact, it's kind of brought us closer together in a kind of a strange way. Dice's leading up to the charges, the three of them had supported each other as they suffered through the worst pain a parent could go through. No one wants to be the mother of someone that's been dismembered. No one wants to be the mother of someone that's shot. And no one wants to be the mother of a daughter who's never found. Dice's Bailey being charged with Micah's murder was a new kind of pain Jane had to endure. And no one wants to be the mother if it's brought out in court. We haven't seen the evidence, and we haven't heard Bailey's side of it. But if Bailey were found guilty, no one wants to be the mother of a daughter that has helped take the life of someone that was their friend. There were so many questions then. But of course, the one top of everyone's mind 
was Bailey guilty? Ninety percent of people who still stand by her being innocent, and then there's that ten percent that switched from "Oh, this is so sad. She's a missing person. She's a victim too. She did it, and she deserves to be missing." That's next time. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. On formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org/formative or wherever you get your podcasts.